Section 12 of Diary of a U-Boat Commander. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Diary of a U-Boat Commander by Stephen King Hall Section 12 Carl's Diary Resumed She is dead. They have killed her, my Zoe, my adorable darling, and I am still alive, under close arrest. Perhaps they will shoot me, too, in their insatiable thirst for blood. Oh, if they would! Perhaps, my Zoe, if I could only die and leave this useless world behind, I might find you in the mysterious regions where your spirit now dwells. Oh, is it well with you, Zoe? Give me a sign, a little sign, that all is well. I have knelt in prayer, and asked for a sign, but nothing comes. All is a blank, forbidding and mysterious. Is God angry with us, my Zoe, that we have sinned before Him? Surely, surely He understands. He must have mercy on me if He is going to make me go on living. If this is my punishment, I can bear it. I will live without you happily if only I may know that all is well with you. New Entry Your letter, Zoe. Can you read these words as I write? Can you sense my thoughts? Speak! Ah! I thought I heard your voice, and it was only the laughter of a woman in the street. Your letter has filled me with joy and sorrow. I read and re-read the wonderful words in which you say you love me from the beginning, but when you plead that I shall not turn in loathing from your memory, with these words you smash me to the ground. Most glorious woman! I never loved you so well and so passionately as the day you stood at the trial, ringed round with the wolves, the clever lawyers, the stolid witnesses, the ponderous books, the cynical air of religious solemnity with which the machinery of the law thinly cloaks its lust for blood, for a life. Even when my ears heard the sentence, I could not believe it would be carried out. The firing party, the chair the bandage. Oh, God! Spare me these awful thoughts. To think of your breast lacerated by the— Oh, this is unendurable! Stop, madman that I am! New Entry I am calmer now. I have read your letter again, and rescued the journal from the grate into which I flung it. The fire was out. I am not sorry. My journal is all I have left, and in its pages are enshrined small, feeble word-pictures of paradise on earth. To read them is to catch an echo of the music we both love so well. Music! You were all music to me, my Zoe. Your voice, your movements, your caresses all seem to me to speak of music. I ask myself, I shall always ask myself until the last hour whether all that could be done to save you was done. I tried to telegraph to the Kaiser for you, Zoe, but the wire never got further than Bruges post-office. They stopped it and put me under arrest. 
It was only open arrest, my darling, and on that last awful night I forced them to let me see the governor. I, Karl von Schenk, knelt at his feet and begged for your life. He simply said, You are mad. I left the palace under close arrest. Was ever woman's nobleness of character so exemplified as in your life? Be comforted, Zoe, that in all my black sorrow I cling desperately to my pride in your strength. I long to shout abroad what you did and why you would never marry me, to tell all the gaping world that when you died a martyr to duty was killed. I am so unworthy of what you did for me, my darling and it tortures me with mental rendings to think that whilst I prided myself in my strength of mind, I was dragging you through the fires of hell. When I think of those six weeks we had together, my brain says, and they might have been months had you not spurned her in the forest. O oh, Zoe, if the priests say truth and all things are now revealed to you, forgive me for this act of mine. Come to me in spirit, and give me mental peace. As I write like this, as if it was a letter that you might read, I am comforted a little. I rely utterly on the hope, which I struggle to change into belief, that you can read this, and know my thoughts. For when I think that had things been otherwise you might have been leaning over my chair at this moment, and running your cool fingers through my stiff hair. When I think of this, my darling, the full realization comes to me of the gulf which must divide us for some uncertain period, and the lines of this page run mistily before my eyes. Zoe, my Zoe, strange things have happened in this war. Wives declare that they have seen their husbands, mothers have felt the presence of their sons, if the powers permit, come to me once again, I implore you, and give me strength to live my life alone. New Entry Examine before the court of inquiry today. Fools! Can't they realize that I don't care if they do shoot me? In the mess, people avoid me. What do I care? Not one of them is worthy to stand on the same soil that holds her beloved body. They have buried her in the castle grounds. In accordance with her wishes I have arranged for flowers. Perhaps one day, when all this is over, I may be able to live here and tend the place where she sleeps, free at last from all her cares. New Entry at the court of inquiry they tried to cross-examine me on our life together. Dolts! What do they aim at proving? That I loved you? I hardly listened. When they finished the evidence, the President asked me if I had anything to say. Anything to say! I felt like telling them they were cogs in the most monstrous machine for manufacturing sorrow and destruction that mankind had ever devised. I could have shaken my fist in their solemn faces and shouted, Beasts! You murdered her! You destroyed that most wonderful woman who lowered herself to love me! Actually, there was a long silence. And then the vice-president, Captain Frulingzone, said, Speak, we wish you well. 
It was the first touch of sympathy, the only sign of humanity I had received in all those awful days. And it touched my stubborn heart, and the longed-for tears flowed at last. I murmured, Gentlemen, I am no traitor, but I loved her as my own soul. Dissolve the court, remove the prisoner. Like the clash of iron gates, officialdom came into its own again. New Entry So, I am not to be shot, not even imprisoned. Don't fall in love with enemy agents again. That summarized their verdict. Ha, ha, ha! It is all horribly funny. The real reason is that they need me. I am a trained and skilful slaughterer on the seas. I am an essential part of the great machine, and they haven't got any spares. I was in the mess yesterday when the English papers we get from Amsterdam arrived. Oh, a pretty surprise awaited the first man who opened the Times. These English had published the names of one hundred and fifty U-boat commanders they had caught. There they all were, Christian names and all complete. The only thing missing was a blank space in which to fill in our names when the time comes. Dinner was a silent meal last night, and next morning some rat of a Belgian had posted the list on the gatepost of the mess. The machine has offered five hundred marks for his apprehension. How foolish! As if by shooting him they would take any names off the long list. New Entry I am to sail at dawn to-morrow. I shall not be sorry to get away for a space from this place with its mingled memories of delight and death. New Entry Back again, and I haven't written a word for three weeks. My billet last trip was off Finisterre. I sighted two convoys, but there were destroyers there. They are so black and swift I don't go near them. I don't want to die in a U-boat. It's not worth while. It is easy to avoid these convoys. I dive and make a great fuss of attacking. Then I steer divergently. Nobody knows where the enemy is except me. I am the only one who looks through the periscope. I take good care of that. And then how I curse and swear, when I announce that the convoy has altered course, and there is no chance of getting in to attack. None of them are so disappointed as I am. The mines get on my nerves. There is no way of dodging them, and, Lord, how they sprout on the Flanders coast! I am to go out in six days. It is very little rest. I believe they want to kill me. But I won't die. Not I. I went to her grave yesterday, for the first time. I had thought I should weep, but I did not. In fact, it left me quite unmoved. I feel she's not really dead. She comes to me sometimes, always at night when I am alone, and when we are at sea. There's nothing very tangible but I catch an echo of her voice in the surge of the sea along the casing, or the sound of the breeze as it plays along the aerial. And so I will not die until she calls me, 
for up to the present her messages have told me to live and endure. New Entry A very awkward incident took place last night. We were off the Nays and saw a steamer some distance away. We dived to attack. When we were about a mile away I had a look at her, and something about her put me off. I half thought she was a decoy ship, and I privately determined I would not attack. I steered a course which brought me well on her quarter, and as soon as I saw that it was impossible to get into position to fire, I increased speed on the engines and shook the whole boat in efforts which were ostensibly directed to getting her into position. At length I eased speed and bitterly exclaimed that my luck was out. The first lieutenant suggested that we should give her gunfire, but I pointed out that I had good reason to suspect her of being a wolf in sheep's clothing, and as he had not seen her he could hardly question my judgment. I was going forward when I accidentally overheard the navigator and the engineer talking in the wardroom. I listened. The engineer said, The captain doesn't seem to have the luck he used to command. Or else he has lost skill, replied Ebert. We never fired a torpedo at all last trip, and it looks as if we are following that president this time. I had heard enough, and without their realizing my presence I returned to the control room. I considered the situation and came to the conclusion that they suspected nothing, but it was evident that their minds were running on lines of thought which might be dangerous. I looked at my watch, and saw that there were still two hours of daylight left, and then decided to play a trick on them all. I relieved the first lieutenant at the periscope and when a decent interval of about half an hour had elapsed, I saw a ship. This vessel of my imagination, a veritable flying Dutchman, in fact, I proceeded to attack, and after about twenty minutes of frequent alterations of speed and course, I electrified the boat by bringing the bow-tubes to the ready. The usual delay was most artistically arranged, and then I fired. With secret amusement I watched the two expensive weapons of war rushing along, but destined to sink ingloriously in the ocean, instead of burying themselves in the vitals of a ship. An oath from myself and an order to take the boat to twenty meters. With gloomy countenance I curtly remarked, The port torpedo broke surface and then dived underneath her. The starboard one missed astern. So far all had gone well, but ten minutes later I nearly made a fatal error. We had been diving for several hours, the atmosphere was bad, and as it was dusk I decided to come up, ventilate, and put a charge on the batteries. I gave the necessary orders and was on my way up the conning tower to open the outer hatch. The coxswain had just announced that the boat was on the surface when a terrible thought paralyzed me and I clung helplessly to the ladder, trying to think out the situation. It had just occurred to me that as soon as the officers and crew came on deck, they would naturally look for the steamer we had recently fired at. This ship, in the time interval which had elapsed, would still be in sight. As I came down, the first lieutenant was at the periscope, looking round the horizon. Quickly I thrust the youth from the eyepiece, and as calmly as I could said, I thought I heard propellers. Half an hour later we surfaced for the night. 
I have been wondering ever since whether they suspect, for the three of them were talking in the wardroom after dinner and stopped suddenly when I came in. I must be careful in future. New Entry I was sent for this morning by the Commodore's office, and handed my appointment as senior lieutenant at the barracks Wilhelmshafen. No explanation, though I suspected something of the sort was coming, as three days after we got in from my last trip I was examined by the medical board attached to the flotilla. So I am to leave the U-boat service and leave it under a cloud. It is a sad come-down from captain of a U-boat to lieutenant in barracks a job reserved for the medically unfit for sea service. Am I sorry? No. I think I'm glad. Life here at Bruges is one long, painful episode. No one speaks to me in the mess. I am left severely alone with my memories. The night before last I found a revolver in my room, and attached to it was a piece of paper bearing the words, From a friend. Perhaps at Wilhelmshafen it will be different. And yet, when I went down to the boat at noon and collected my personal affairs, and stepped over her side for the last time, I could not check a feeling of great sadness. We had endured much together, my boat and I, and the parting was hard. New Entry At Barracks as I suspected, when I was appointed here, my job is deadly to a degree, and my main duty is to sign leave-passes. Our great effort in France has failed, and now the Allies react furiously. The great war machine is strained to its utmost capacity. Can it endure the load? Our proper move is to paralyze the Allied offensive by striking with all our naval weight at his cross-channel communications. The U-boat war is too slow, and time is not on our side, whilst a hammer-blow down the channel might do great things. But we have no naval imagination, and who am I that I should advance an opinion? A discredited lieutenant in barracks, that's all. Worse and worse. There are rumours of troubles in the fleet taking place under certain conditions. It is the beginning of the end. Last night the High Seas Fleet were ordered to weigh at 8 a.m. this morning. A mutiny broke out in the Koenig, and quickly spread. By 9 a.m. half a dozen ships were flying the red flag. And today Wilhelmshafen is being administered by the Council of Soldiers and Sailors. There has been little disorder. The men have been unanimous in declaring that they would not go to sea for a last useless massacre, a last oblation on the blood-stained altars of war. Can they be blamed? Of what use would such sacrifice be? Yet to an officer it is all very sad and disheartening. I have seen enough to sicken me of the whole German system of making war, and yet if the call came I know I would gladly go forth and die when tout est perdu pour l'honneur. Such instincts are bred deep into the men of families such as mine. We approach the culmination of events. Today Germany has called for an armistice. It has been inevitable since our allies began falling away from us like rotten print. The terms will doubtless be hard. New Entry Heavens above! 
but the terms are crushing. All the U-boats to be surrendered. The high seas fleet interned. Why not say surrendered straight out? It will come to that, unless we blow them up in German ports. The end of Kaiserdom has come. We are virtually a republic. It is all like a dream. New Entry We have signed, and the last shot of the World War has been fired. Here everything is confusion. The saner elements are trying to keep order. The roughs are going round the dockyard and ships, looting freely. Better we should steal them than the English, and there is no government, so all is free, are two of their cries. There has been little shooting in the streets, and it is not safe for officers to move about in uniform, though on the whole I have experienced little difficulty. I was summoned to-day before the local council, which is run by a man who was a petty officer of signals in the Koenig. He recognized me and looked away. I was instructed to take U-122 over to Harwich for surrender to the English. I've made no difficulty. Someone has got to do it, and I verily believe I am indifferent to all emotions. We sail in convoy on the day after tomorrow. That is to say, if the crew condescend to fuel the boat in time. Three looters were executed to-day in the dockyard, and this has had a steadying effect on the worst elements. New Entry I went on board 122 today, and on showing my authority which was signed by the Council, which has now become the Council of Soldiers, Sailors, and Workmen, the crew of the boat held a meeting at which I was not invited to be present. At his conclusion the coxswain came up to me and informed me that a resolution had been carried by seventeen votes to ten, to the effect that I was to be obeyed as captain of the boat. I begged him to convey to the crew my gratification, and expressed the hope that I should give satisfaction. I am afraid the sarcasm was quite lost on them. New Entry we are within sixty miles of Harwich, and I expect to sight the English cruisers any moment. I wrote some days ago that I was incapable of any emotion. I was wrong, as I have been so often during the last two years. In fact, I have come to the conclusion that I am no psychologist. I don't believe we Germans are any good at psychology, and that's the root reason why we failed. I do feel emotion. It's terrible. The shame the humiliation is unbearable. I wonder how the English will behave. What a day of triumph for them! The signalman has just come down and reported British cruisers right ahead. It will soon be over. I must go up on deck and exercise my functions as elected captain of U-122, and representative of Germany in defeat. One last effort is demanded, and then... Note. This is the last sentence in the diary. It is probable that he suddenly had to hurry on deck, and in the subsequent confusion forgot to rescue his diary from the locker in which he had thrust it. Etienne. End of section. End of book. Thank you for listening.